Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Um, I want to just make mention, uh, we're so glad to be back. You know, whenever we have holidays, we do itch to get back. And, uh, you know, somebody came in this week and they said, where's your tan? Hey, I'm redhead. I burn. Okay. I burn and then freckle. So, uh, hey, you know, take it as it comes. But we, a week ago today, we, uh, we were privileged to have baby dedication on our little Evangeline, nine-month-old, only granddaughter. And uh, if you have time, I'll show you pictures. I've already been showing everybody pictures of, of Evangeline. If you have time, I'll show everybody pictures. I have the time if you have the time. Um, but we did a baby dedication last Sunday. Oh, wow, that was amazing. She is such a docile, quiet child except when there's a microphone within reach. She gets it from her mother. <laughs> and, and, and while I'm praying for her, this aunt, she, I don't know if she thought it was an ice cream cone or what. She just <laughs> marched on it. So it was, it, was, it was, how can Grandpa be upset with that? He just can't. Okay, so uh, there's going to be also, at a few, again, we welcome those joining us live stream. Uh, we have it for you in live stream as well. So invite, oh, right up here for Lori as well. Uh, we have this live stream, and uh, we, we're going to put it on the screen for you. So you can just kind of do it if you uh, kind of remember the markings that you give it. Okay, so here we go. Let's go. Question number one. I entertain fellow Christians in our home. Check the one that fits. A, frequently, two or three times a month. B, regularly, once a month. C, rarely, four or less times a year. Or almost never. So which one fits you? Go ahead, Mark. Number two. Again, you're not going to pass this out. You can't, you can't fail this. Uh, this just, you're going to keep this. But I, I use this because I'm going to springboard off of this a little bit later into what I'm sharing. Number two. Of those that I do entertain, what percent, of, what percent are other than my close friends? Circle one. 10%, 25%, 50%. 75% or put another number in there. Um, but what percentage are other than your close friends? Other than your close friends. Three. The reason I don't entertain more is, now check all the answers that apply. Busy? Too costly? See, our home furnishings are too modest or inadequate. D, having guests frightens me? E, I get too tense and exhausted getting the house cleaned and food prepared. Mark all the ones that apply. Number four, when I see someone at church I do not know, I want to speak, but often feel hesitant because, check all the ones that apply here, because A, it's hard to talk to new people. B, I'm not always sure that they really are new people. C, I feel they may not really want me to speak. D, I don't know what to say. E, sometimes I just plain feel frightened or embarrassed. F, I always find it very natural and easy to speak to strangers, so none of the above really applies. Mark the ones that are yours. Number five, when I see a stranger and a friend standing in the foyer, check all that apply. A, I find it easiest to speak to the friend. B, 
I sometimes speak to the friend and not the stranger. C, I generally speak to the stranger first. D, I usually try to introduce the new person to someone else. Check all that apply. So number six, how many people did you speak to or greet this morning? We're talking today now. This morning, whom you did not know. Check one. None, one or two, quite a few, most that I saw. Go ahead. And number seven. I try to invite visitors, new people in the church, for dessert or a meal. Check the one that best fits. Frequently, it's two or three times a month. Regularly, maybe once a month. Occasionally, five to ten times a year. Or rarely, less than four times a year. Or E, almost never. Okay, now just hang on to those. Hang on to those. I, uh, I want to um, go to Scripture here and read from some Scripture. We're going to go to Mark chapter 5. I invite you to go there. I don't have this all put out on the, uh, on the PowerPoint for you, so if you can go there, you can follow along with this. I want to take the time to read the story. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and the heading here in verse, in verse 21 is Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. Let's read the story, picking it up in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was at the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, everybody say Jairus, there's the guy's name, uh, you could probably call him Reverend Jairus. He's a synagogue leader. He's one of the pastors. One of the synagogue leaders, Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Now, I'm just going to mention that um, Luke's account of this. She's, he, Luke says she's 12 years old. My little daughter is, is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there. Everybody say woman. Now, I want you to know the distinction. The first one, there's a name, Jairus. The second, woman. Okay. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, same length of time as that little girl had been alive. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone from him. In the other account in Luke... It says virtue had left him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my clothes? 31, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, And yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, 
because she was healed immediately. She's already healed. Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him, note this, the whole truth. Another translation, her whole story. 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While people were, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them out, I imagine there was a little bit of stuff between that, that little spot right there. After he put them out, I would have loved to have seen that. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the disciples who were with him, and went in where the child was. 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Now there was another immediate earlier. It was the woman, the woman who didn't have the name. She had an immediate moment too. 42, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. I mean, wouldn't you and I? He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her, give her something to eat for pity's sake. You know, they were so excited, poor little girl. She famished. Give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. Uh, let me just uh, repackage re this story. The story is about two people, primarily around Christ, but it's about a subject that I want to address. The story really begins here. It would have, it would have hit the front page news of their day, Jairus, the, the reverent Jairus of First Assembly in Capernaum, daughter just, daughter is dying. She hasn't died yet, she's dying. Gravely sick. We don't, nothing's told about why, how. But time is of the essence. She's about to die. And Jesus is nearby. Jairus Spares nothing. He quickly moves to where Jesus is. He goes to Jesus and, and he falls before him. He begs. He gets into a posture on his knees and he begs, Master, my daughter's dying. I've had her for 12. He's enjoyed her for 12 years. She's been joy for their home for 12 years. My daughter's dying. But if you touch her, she can live. And Jesus' answer was yes. His answer is yes. So there is an urgency moving towards Jairus' home where the dying girl lays. As the crowd, and there's a crowd there, and the crowd is frenzied because they are hearing this. There, there's a lot of people there for the show. There, you know, I'm going to just, just stop there and pause it. There's still a lot of people today who would like a good show from Jesus, who just want to see a good show. How come he won't do that? I'll believe if he does this. But there's still a lot of showmanship in our hearts when it comes to Jesus. So they're, they're packing in to see the show. There's a bunch of them. There's a crowd. We know that because there's a woman 
who in the same length of time that little girl had brought joy to Reverend Jairus, she had been slowly dying with an issue of blood. Issue of blood was not a good thing. They did not know how to treat it. She'd been multiple doctors. There was no treatment for it, no known treatment for the issue of blood of her day. She was dying. She had been 12 years. She no doubt had disintegrated during that time. And would have, she doesn't even have a name in the story. That's why I wanted us to say the name. Woman. She's not, Reverend Jairus has a name, but woman has no name. She does have a name, but we don't know it. Obviously, it didn't seem important to put it down or to remember it. But she has an issue of blood, and she would have been ostracized because of her bleeding. Nobody wants to catch that. And so she would have been ostracized from her family, her friends, her community. Her 12 years were pretty horrible. Jairus had blessings in 12 years of having that beautiful daughter who now was dying. 12 years, 12 years. Two people, two incidents colliding at the same moment. I love the story. Jesus is making his way to Jairus' home. He's moving quickly. The crowd is moving and propelling him on. When this woman with an issue of blood can't get to the front of Jesus, no doubt everybody's being pushed aside. You ever seen pictures of, you know, the president of the United States going from here to there in a crowd? People in front get pushed aside. You make way. She couldn't get out in front of him, so she worked with all her energy to get him behind him. The Bible says she came in behind and she reached and touched his robe. Touched his robe, his garment. And she was immediately healed. Uh, don't know what that looks like, just that we're told, so I don't know how she experienced that. She was immediately healed. But within seconds, Jesus stops dead in the road. Everything grinds to a halt. Crowd is still moving forward. They look back. Jesus has stopped. <laughs> what are you doing? Someone touched me, he said. He's very intent on finding who touched him. Now, when he answered, somebody touched me, the crowd is ridiculing him. Somebody touched you, Jesus. Look at, look at all the people. You're, you're being bounced and bumped, and, and there's too many people. A lot of people have touched you, Jesus. How are we to determine who all have touched you? It wasn't, Jesus wasn't asking to give me a list of the people who's touched me. You know, he doesn't have, he doesn't have to do, we're going to relate to this, to contact tracing. He doesn't have to do that. That's not what he's asking. The Bible says, and this is the text I want to bring today, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith virtue. That's our text today. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. Virtue, three things of the text. Make every effort. There's something that you need to pour everything into. Make every effort. Every, not some effort, a lot, a little bit of effort. Just don't think about it once in a while. Don't have good intentions. You make every effort to add to your faith, faith, what you believe, virtue. Now, another translation calls that goodness. But I'm going to use the word virtue. King James used it. Virtue, because this virtue slides down to the story I'm reading here in Mark, the Luke account. Jesus turns and he says, virtue has, less, has left me. Somebody touched me. How do you know, Jesus? Virtue left me. 
What is that virtue? NIV translates, and NIV trans, tends to translate things down to try to, to appease readers. Um, but the King James again translated, virtue left me. Something left him. Was it just power? No, it was more than power. It was power, but it was more than power. Was it energy? It was energy, probably, but it was more than energy. Was it goodness? It was goodness, but maybe more than goodness. You see, we don't have the right word for it. That's the problem. We don't have a word for what left him. So we grapple with words, but here, virtue left me. The woman touched me, but virtue left me. Let me just share something very powerful, I think, in the story. That it's not enough for a woman to be cured and not cared for. Okay, we need to hear this. It's not enough to be cured and not cared for. Jesus stopped the parade, says, virtue has left to me. Who was it? She makes her way back into the crowd, the fray. And with great fear and trembling, she says, it was me. And Jesus asks her about her story. And he has all the time to hear it. She tells her story. The Bible says she tells him the truth. She tells her story. We don't know what the story is. It's not put down here in the canon for us to know and to examine. But she tells the story. It's a story of hurt. It's 12 years of pain. It's being ostracized. It's not mattering to anybody. It's losing your family. It's losing your, your business. It's losing all that stuff. It's 12 years of difficulty. And Jesus... On the way to a very important event at Reverend Jairus' first assembly place to save a daughter. Who wouldn't want to save a 12-year-old? But it's, a, it's not enough. You see, the way of Jesus is not for simply to cure. The way of Jesus is to care for. It's not simply the way of Jesus to heal someone. It's the way of Jesus to deal with the hurts. And so Jesus is not just entering. See, he could have kept going. She's already healed. He could have kept going, but it's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to stop and to spend some time with her. Go back to our text. Our text, make every effort to add to your faith virtue. It's not enough simply to have faith. It's not enough to have a set of beliefs of what you believe and don't believe. Not enough to pack it between your ears. No, add to your faith. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. The title of my message this morning is The Virtue of Eating Together. The Virtue of Eating Together. So in the story, we come back to Matthew or Mark chapter 5. Jesus has listened to her story. He's not simply cured, he has cared for it. He's not simply healed her, he has met her hurt. Now, it's time to move on. He begins to make his way to Jairus' house. On the way, he's not very far gone. Somebody comes and says, it's too late. She's died. Now, not one person in the crowd is missing the thought. If he hadn't stopped, she might live. But now it's too late. But not for Jesus. Jesus continues on. He said, um, no, she, she's not dead. And of course they ridicule and they mock him. And Jesus took in those who believed in him. Those who knew more than what they just thought they knew of him. The mother and dad they, into the little girl's room. And he calls her forth and she rises up. 
And it's interesting, the first thing he says after she's healed, he says, get her some food. Get her some food. Get her some food. Feed her. Just don't meet her spiritual need. Yes, she's back. She's alive today. But she's got some basic hospitality needs that need to be met right now. And it's there that I wanted maybe just springboard today that we are talking about the, air, the area, the issue around make every effort to add to your faith virtue. Virtue. Uh, so let's talk about virtue. We crave hospitality. And I think this message here today and in the days ahead are maybe more important than ever in your life because of what you and I have been through in the last couple of years. I think we need to hear this. We so need to hear this. It's my conviction. Okay, that's my conviction. We need to hear this in a heightened way. People need hospitality. People need connections. People need people. And it's not enough to... It's something to have people at a distance, as you can with social devices. But we need real people in real time, in real space. We were made to to be around people. Now, some of you here are introverts. I'm not going to ask who here thinks they're an introvert, who here thinks you're an extrovert. Um, It doesn't matter, because we all need connections with people. Hospitality is a central Central need of humanity. Actually, of, of any of the animal kingdom, for that matter, too. And I'm going to even suggest eating together. Eating together breaks barriers that nothing else breaks. <laughs> Thus, we got so many restaurants. Uh, you know, you go, to, you go to a lot of third world countries. You know, you don't hardly any restaurants. But here in, in, in where there's prosperity at restaurants, multiple restaurants in every block. We like to eat together. Now, we like food, too, just plain out food. But there's about eating together. And I think one of the big things that has been misunderstood about the body of Christ in this last couple of years is religion is not a bunch about a bunch of ecumenical ceremonies in a church. Religion is about connecting with people. And out of relationships, Christ is ministered. You remove the relationship component, you remove a major component of faith. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. You have to be careful. And I think this is something that resonates in our hearts, that hospitality, how do we regroup back with hospitality today? Now, I'm not saying throw down all caution, but I am saying we need to begin to add to our faith virtue. It promotes intimacy, eating together. I mean, a man who is serious about dating a woman will take her at some point to dinner. A salesman will take a client to a lunch. We do, we settle affairs around tables. The virtue of eating together. Our North American culture, there's a tendency for independence. We hesitate inviting people we don't know into our inner circles. I know when uh, in, in uh, dealing with relationships and healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships, and there's a, a graph you can do where you can, on a page, you, you determine 
uh, you know, you are here, and, and who's closest to you? And you put dots of, you know, husband, wife, son, daughter, mother, father, best friend, employer, employee. You begin to put dots around, and, and you begin, and farther from you, who's a part of your outer circles, you know, outer peripheral? And then you draw a circle around the people that are close to you. What do you do with the people outside? And there's different methods you can begin to help kind of visualize the people in my life. We as... Again, Canadians are uh, fairly independent by nature, and we struggle in inviting people into our families. Not everybody, but generally speaking. In Bible times, hospitality and the simple act of eating and playing together was so significant in spreading the love of God. It was key in the gospel. It was not something extra, it was part of the gospel. When he says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, it was not without hospitality. Hospitality was a main ingredient of the proclamation of the gospel. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. If we were to remove the times that Jesus, we see in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the times of Jesus eating with people, if we remove that from our scriptures, you would remove page after page after page of the Gospels. You'd have to rip them out if you remove the places where Jesus is demonstrating the Gospel through fellowshipping, hospitality, and eating together. I mean, this got all kinds of responses in Jesus' day. Luke chapter 15, verse 2 records... The Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, This man eats with sinners. That's what Jesus did. He ate with people that were not in his inner circle. It's what he did. It's also interesting to note, when Jesus sent his disciples out, and he said, Listen, you go out two by two, and I empower you to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. He told them to go to the lost sheep of Israel. But he said in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, he said, and don't hesitate to accept hospitality. He put that right in there. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality. Don't miss that part. Jesus would go on to say in Matthew chapter 10, 13, that if anyone did not provide this kind of hospitality, inviting somebody into their home, if anybody did not provide this, he said this, truly the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah would be better off at Judgment Day than they. Wow! If we don't demonstrate hospitality in the place of invitation, be better for Sodom. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? It didn't go well for them. He said, be better for them on Judgment Day. You know, let's make sure we don't mistake that delayed judgment is not the same as dismissed judgment. Some things are delayed. So why is it we tend to be reluctant? I'm just going to put a couple of them out here. Why is it we tend to be reluctant? Number one, um, your survey. <laughs> so this is the place I wanted us to go back to our survey. So I kind of, I, I had deeper penetration as I went down through the different seven questions here. Uh, the first one really was just entertaining Christians in your home. The second question dealing with trying to, to come to a place, do, you, do I tend to just hang out with my cronies? I call them my cronies, your cronies. You know, you're a little cluster. And, and we call that little cliques. People don't get out, outside themselves. They, they just hang out with the people like them. And, and, 
they can be seen as snobbish. And sometimes they're not snobbish. They just don't know how to interact, interrelate to other people. But question number two is kind of bringing an awareness around that. Question number three, the reason I don't entertain more, and, um, you know, I, I, I check them all off, right? I just like, well, yeah, yeah, busy, and it is costly, and, yeah, home, yeah, just, and, you know, some people frighten you, you know, like, what, what happens if you, you know, some, you, you, you have somebody and you can't get rid of them, you know? What do you do with them? You know, and, and uh, like, all those are real questions. Uh, and I get too tense and exhausted having to clean and prepare, so I just don't. It'd be easier just to go and buy a, a Tim's at Tim Hortons. Um, number four, but this is where it starts to get more in-depth. I start to begin to prod. Number four, when I see someone at church I don't know, I want to speak, but often I feel hesitant because, how did you do on that one? Someone you don't know. Now, I'm going to hazard a guess all of us, all of us, can look through this crowd and there's somebody you don't know. How do you feel about that? When I see somebody at church I don't know, I want to speak, but often I feel hesitant. It's hard to talk to new people. I'm not always sure that they really are new people. Well, that's one of my big ones. It's so embarrassing to come up and say, hey, are you visiting today? No, I've been here for two years. <laughs> right? That's horribly embarrassing. Happens so many times. Number three, I feel they may not really... This is C. I feel they may not really want to speak, so I don't want to intrude. Who am I to intrude in their life? D. I don't know what to say if I did open my mouth. Right? Some of you are relating to that. E. Sometimes I just feel frightened or embarrassed. That's a scary moment. Ask me to go talk to somebody new, and I just like freeze up. F. I always find it very natural. Maybe they're the flip of this. I always find it very natural and easy to speak to strangers, so none of the above really applies. Most of us won't have, well, most of us, some will, most of us won't have marked off F. We'll be somewhere A, B, C, D, E. Number five, the next one really was meant to go a little farther. When I see a stranger and a friend standing in the foyer, I find it easiest to speak to the friend. Hmm, not that's obvious, maybe. Or I sometimes speak to the friend and not the stranger. I generally speak to the stranger first. Why would you speak to the stranger first? I usually try to introduce the new person to someone else. Then I pressed a little bit farther, number six. How many people did you speak this morning whom you did not know? Maybe you came in late, so you just, you just couldn't answer that one. But if you were here a little bit early, one, two, quite a few, most that I saw. Or lastly, I try to invite visitors, new people in the church, for a dessert or a meal. Frequently, two or three times a month, regularly about once a month, occasionally five to ten times a year, rarely less than four times or never. I'm going to, you know, as, as we go through this, I'm going to be encouraging that God would help maybe, and this, this is a very practical message this morning, to help us in the virtue of eating together. I know we're in times, we're still figuring it out. But as we do, back here, Lori and I, back here, early winter, we just said, we're going to start bringing people back into our home. And not just a restaurant. Normally our thing was to go to a, grab a bite to eat at a restaurant, we had somebody. We thought, we're just going to start bringing people into our home. Just inviting. Not every week, but certainly every month. Just, we need to do that. Not in our cluster. Just people. Somebody to come. And... Uh, out of that conviction, and it really did rise from, I mentioned the book earlier, 
uh, a place at my table. If somebody hadn't cared for Susan, the story rolls out very differently. To be able to add, make every effort to add to your faith virtue. So often we feel reluctant to get involved with strangers. Meeting strangers is scary to 90% of the people, one survey said. 90% of the people absolutely fear having to confront or talk to a stranger. Why? Well, we know what the answers are. Uh, afraid maybe of responses, don't know what it's going to be like. Will they like you? Will they not like you? Will they think you're intruding? Um, will we be perceived as more important? Will they be perceived as more important? What about privacy issues? On and on it goes. Uh, but I want to say most people do not turn down the opportunity to build on friendships. Most people have room for more friends. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm really underplaying that one. Most people have room for a lot more friends. A lot. And it doesn't have to be your bosom buddy where you're going to hang out every day. It doesn't have to be somebody who's on your speed dial. It could be an acquaintance friend. But they're still a friend. They're one of your friends. And to make the effort to go out of our way, to invite them out, to have dinner, snack, to talk about things. Sometimes we're afraid about, you know, what do we talk about? Sometimes we just have to initiate some common interests. I'm fine, common interests. Learn a little bit about the person. What did Jesus ask the woman in the story? Something about her life. She, she, was, she was healed, but she needed caring. And Jesus needed to care for her before he moved on. He needed to get to the girl but he had a woman here who needed to be cared for, just cared for, for the reason of caring. So let's resist the temptation to simply keep our talks to the people that are most close to us. That God is opening our horizons. That, and when we do talk, don't, don't avoid at all costs talks around spiritual things. You know, once you've met somebody, maybe the second, third time, that you can ask the question, tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey. Those are my favorite questions. Tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey. And now they begin to share something that now we connect on a deep level spiritually because of the spiritual pursuit. Reluctance to get involved with strangers. Secondly, some of the reasons we don't do this is feelings of intimidation. Feelings of intimidation. We're intimidated. Uh, we've struggled with that. Intimidated. You know, somebody who's got a gorgeous house, gorgeous furnishings, you know, they got tons of money, and then ah, you bring them over to your place. Uh, you know, you, you feel intimidated. How does it go with that? You know, our house isn't a great house. You know, we have a lot of repairs. You know, it's not, it's maybe when I get a great house. But if you do that, it might never happen. Can I invite you to encourage you, no matter what your abode might be, you'll be a blessing? You'll be a blessing. You know, we don't have to have a perfect house. There's a difference between a perfect house and a tidy house. And, you know, you know, I, I got dust. I got repairs. You know, my sink doesn't work right. My toilet doesn't flush right. The door squeaks, you know. We are, or my Chesterfield has a rip in it, and I have to put claws over top or something. Hey, we've been there, done it, bought the T-shirt. Don't make that the issue. How much work is in preparing the meal? We've had to work through that. Lori, Lori does amazing meals. And she would spend like a whole day. And it's like, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do that. It's not about the prep of the meal. It's about the hospitality. So the meal, yes, but it's not all about the prep. And so to change, to accommodate. 
so that it's not about that. There's a person, I understand there's a woman, I'm not going to mention her name, I know her, but she's not been in the church since I've been here. But she was a part of this congregation for a number of years, and I understood that when people would visit the church here, it wouldn't be uncommon for her to invite them over to her place for a bowl of soup afterwards or a sandwich. And she was single-handedly one of the greatest people who touched the hearts of visitors and strangers. I mean, that's just as a blessing, just to feel that you're not simply a part of an establishment. Somebody actually cares, and often it's around food, hospitality. People come for fellowship more than they come for a tour through your home. <laughs> we seldom take people on a tour through the home, you know? Everything else can be a disaster, but this right here is looking pretty good today. That's all you're going to see, right? It's okay. It's okay. Something about coming to my table. Come to my table. Come to my table. It means more than, than just a, a meeting somewhere else. There's just something deep about that. I just want to close with these four scriptures. 1 Peter 4, 9. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show it, show it, show it, show it. Show them hospitality. And don't just do it, oh, he's making me do it. Find joy in it. Secondly, Romans 12, 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Seek for opportunities to be hospitable. Galatians 6, 10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's do good. Often virtue was translated goodness. Let's do good to everyone. And Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 2 Peter 1, 5. Make every effort, make every effort to add to your faith virtue. The virtue of eating together. So part of what we are doing is, is come to my table. I'm going to be talking about this. I'm going to be just, there's so much to be shared about fellowship, hospitality, and reaching out. Caring, not just curing. Touching the hurts, not just healing. Because that's part of the healing. One of the things that we're doing even in our cafe is we're doing something a little unique. Cafe, starting next Sunday, will be open at 9 o'clock. It's going to be open from 9 o'clock to 9.30, and then again, 15 minutes following the service. Now, we typically are used to cafes open following. We're going to open up between 9 o'clock and 9.30. Our service doesn't start at 10. 9 o'clock, 9.30. Why? Why don't you just invite somebody? You know, just, hey, Arlene, I want to buy you a coffee and a muffin next Sunday. Let's meet at 9 o'clock. We sit down and we have a little bit of fellowship. Start there. We want to start there. We want to create, a, and it's not going to be crazy. And trust me, it's not crazy. Most of you are not here at 9 o'clock. So it's fairly quiet. And guess, you get live entertainment. Because we'll close the doors and the Pascal and his worship team, you're going to get live entertainment just wafting out there. Right? You get live music while you are having a muffin and a coffee. And just talking for a few minutes. We, that's why we want to create it. We just want to stimulate this. If, if we can't practically live this out, then it's no point in even talking about it. I think God wants us to. And then take the next step. 
to look for strangers, to get to know them, come to my table. To, in a lot of the categories we had on our list here, you know, we don't have to be having people all the time, but maybe even just once a month, making the effort, I'm just going to reach out to somebody outside my cluster just to get to know them, to get to know them. I'm going to suggest it's going to open up a world. I would like to, a year from now, I'm probably going to forget it unless you remind me, a year from now, circle around again and say, if you've been doing it, how's it going? Because I think there's going to be real stories to share a year from now. The hardest part is starting. The hardest part is just doing it, isn't it? Just getting going is the hardest part. There's so many reasons why not to. So many reasons why not to. So, Father, I thank you, God. I thank you that you've given us your example of your son who on that story was not just about the great miracle. He was about touching the heart, touching the physical need, touching the emotional need of a woman on the way where everything had to stop and even the jeering of the crowd and the mocking of those near him because there's a story that needed to be told and you took the time for those stories. It's what you did. You did it so well. That's at your heart. And God, I pray that as brothers and sisters of the faith here at Cornerstone, that you would help us. God, we need, to, we need this restored, after, particularly after these two years. We need to find a restoration where we can begin to make every effort to add to our faith virtue, the goodness and compassion of interacting. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, your blessings would flow. Help us to just take those first steps. And even with our cafe, God, we pray, help us to take those first steps even right here at this church. We thank you for so great a privilege it is to serve you and to serve one another. We pray in Jesus' name. And if you believe a conviction in that, would you say amen? Okay, there's a number of you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.